All right, good evening, everyone. I'm sorry that we're getting a, a few minutes of a delay start. So we are, Baruch Hashem, beginning tonight with Kapitel. Uh, there's a misprint on the sheet. It says, in Source Number it says Kapitel Lamed Beis. It's not Lamed Beis, it's supposed to be Ayin Beis. So Kapitel 72, chapter 72 in Sefer Tehillim. <clears throat> we dedicate our learning in this Chesur of Shalema for Mrs. Salma Wolf, Sarah Bas Ita Devorah. We hope that in the merit of our Talmud Torah, she will have a complete and enduring Rafua together with Kol Chole Yisra. So let us, let us begin. So I'm actually very excited about this capital because the truth is there's a lot that we're going to focus on. We're going to see a number of incredible concepts, incredible themes, and incredible ideas. So let's begin. Source number one. So this capital you're going to notice is incredibly unique for a variety of reasons. So first of all, the first time we see a mention, L'Shlomo. This is a capital regarding Shlomo HaMelech. So again, David HaMelech makes mention of his son, the Shlomo, Elohim Mishpatecha Lemelech Tein Vitzidkascha Leben Melech. So literally translated, so the Shlomo. So that's the introductory phrase. <clears throat> Ultimately, this is a capital that David HaMelech is writing in honor of his son Shlomo. Remember again, in our journeys through Tehillim, David HaMelech has taught us about so many different things. He's taught us about success. He's taught us about adversity. He's taught us about failure. He's taught us about simcha, about sar. The beauty of Sefer Tehillim is it really captures the entirety of the spectrum of human emotion and the human experience. Whatever you're going to go through in life, David HaMelech went through it. He has words for it. He has ways to relate to it and explanations for it. But what's interesting about this over in this capital is this isn't about David. This isn't about David. This is a capital that David HaMelech writes for his son, Shlomo. So what does he say in this opening chapter about Shlomo? Elohim. HaKadosh Baruch Mishpatecha Lemelech Tein. Literally, give your judgments, give your mishpat to the king. A reference. Well, well, we'll explain it. And ultimately, again, your righteousness, your tzedek, your tzedakah to the king's son. Now, I'll just point out something very interesting. We're going to spend a couple of weeks on this capital because there's a lot. There, well, we'll spend at least one more week on it. But there, there's a lot in this particular chapter. I want to show you something interesting. If you go to the end of this capital of Tillam, the last Pasuk in source number one, look at how it, how it ends. Kalu Tfilos David Ben Yishai. The, right? With this, the end of this capital, the Tfilos, the prayers of David Ben Yishai, have come to an end. Have come to an end. So we need a little bit more, a little bit more context here. So the Radak in number two writes as follows, and this is incredible. The Radak writes, he says, So listen to everybody writes. He says, Zamizmar. <laughs> It's actually quite beautiful. This capital, so General Radak writes that David HaMelech went ahead and wrote when Shlomo was coronated. Now, remember, <clears throat> we've spoken about this many times before. Shlomo's ascension to the throne is a very interesting one because remember again, for whatever the reason, David HaMelech never explicitly stated who was going to take the reins? Remember, there's an interesting halacha. The Sefer Achinuch brings down the way it works in Jewish monarchy. <clears throat> sorry, is that the son of the present king doesn't automatically ascend the throne, right? He only ascends the throne if he's worthy. If he's worthy. So what's interesting to note is that David did not go ahead and put forward a clear ascension plan. Which is fascinating in and of itself. We'll, we'll talk about that in future term. We'll talk about why that is, right? Sometimes the worst thing a king can do is not delineate a clear ascension plan. So, you know, again, we, I just mentioned this last week. 
What happens when David HaMelech is on his deathbed? Literally, David HaMelech is dying. What's happening as he's dying? His son, Adonio ben Chagis, so Adonia ben Chagis, David's son, says, I'm the king. So this, remember again, this is the whole story in the Navi, where Bathsheba goes over to Nasan HaNavi, and she says, what's going on over here? What's going on over here? My son Shlomo is supposed to be king. This kid, Adonio ben Chagis, right, who was again David's son, not, not Bathsheba's son, is proclaiming himself as the king. So Nasan HaNavi has to come up with this whole plan, to, uh, David's on his deathbed, to get David, David, I, I, if I remember correctly, I think you might have said that Shlomo, your son, is going to reign in your stead. Is that is that correct? Because you know, Adonijah ben Chagis is proclaiming that he's the king until David makes the declaration that Shlomo b'ni yimloch tachtai, Shlomo is going to reign once I die. So therefore the Radak says that David HaMelech wrote this capital for his son's ascension to the throne. Now, now here's what's interesting. He says, Lefichach, Amru Mizmar, Kalu Tfilos David Ben Yishai. Now, why does this capital end with the phrase, right? With the end of this capital, so the chapter 72 in Tehillim. Remember, there are 150 chapters. So at the end of chapter 72, the, the paragraph ends, the Tfilos, the prayers of David Ben Yishai, of David the son of Yishai, have come to a close. Why? Ki besof yamav haya zeh bimitaso, velo karlo davar achrakach shor mizmar alav, so this is incredible. <clears throat> Radak explains that this is the last capital that David HaMelech wrote. And where did he write it? He wrote it on his deathbed. At this point, there was nothing else happening, so to speak, in David's life. Remember, again, we've studied this many times throughout the years that the profundity of Sefer Tehillim is that often each capital associates, it's not always like this, but many of the kapitlach associate with specific events which occurred in David HaMelech's life. So the Radak says over here that this particular capital, this is the last capital, this is the last thing that David HaMelech wrote in Sefer Tehillim. And where did he write it? He wrote it on his deathbed. And who did he write about and who did he write for? His son Shlomo. Now, obviously, the obvious question is, the obvious question is, if this is the last capital, then what? Then what? <clears throat> then why is it here? In other words, this is chapter 72, right? This is not even halfway through Sefer Tehillim. So if this is the last one, what's going on over here? So the Radak makes a very interesting statement, which is going to require a lot more investigation and discussion. So he writes, he goes on, he says, V'sofa sefer ha'echa mechamisha svarim sheva sefer ha'yazeh mizmar, v'lo sidru ha'mesadrim she'yazeh sefer ha'achron. Those who organized Tehillim. Oh, those who organized Tehillim. Right? Who, 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 who was that committee, right? In other words, the, the people who organized Sefer Tehillim, they chose, and, and we're going to talk about this, not tonight, we'll talk about this maybe a little bit more next week, or the week after. The people who organized Tehillim, they chose not to put this capital at the end. They didn't want to end with this. Instead, remember, what does Sefer Tehillim end with? Sefer Tehillim ends with the Halalukas, all the Halalukas. They wanted Sefer Tehillim, a sadrim. The organizers of Sefer Tehillim wanted the Sefer to end with a praise, and with a praise of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and a little bit more of an upbeat, not the death of David HaMelech. That's not, even though again, with the death of David HaMelech comes the continuity of a dynastic monarchy, 
The organizers of Sefer Tillim wanted it to end on a high note of a praise of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Hallelujahs. He says, so this, is, so this is really incredible. It's really incredible. So what comes out, according to the Radak, is that the power of this capital to Hillim is David HaMelech wrote this for his son. He wrote this capital for Shlomo. For Shlomo. And that's why even the wording of the capital, Lishlomo, Shlomo, this capital is for you. This is for you. Where does David HaMelech write it? Literally again on his deathbed, final moments of life. Now, <clears throat> what's interesting to note about this is as follows. That what we begin to see according to this Radak is this is not a capital about Shlomo. This is a capital for Shlomo. This is David HaMelech's last words to his son. Remember, Shlomo wasn't with David when David passed away. Right? He wasn't, Bathsheba was there, Nasan Anavi was there, Shlomo wasn't there. So at least, at least the Navi doesn't say that Shlomo was there. So this is not about Shlomo, this is for Shlomo. Lish Shlomo, Shlomo, I, your father David, am giving you one last message. And this message is the message through which you should lead your entire life. What's the message? So again, the words are, Elokim mishpatech alemelechtein. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, give mishpat, which we're translating over here as judgment. Give judgment to the kings. V'sidkas ben melech, and righteousness, tzedek, righteousness, justice, to the son of the king. So we'll get to the definition in just a moment. But what I, want to, what I want to point out is something very interesting. When parents give over messages to their children, right? You know, Rav Shamshnofal Hirsch has, a, has an incredible idea. Rav Hirsch says, why is it that like the natural desire of people ultimately, again, is to procreate? I don't mean why do people have a desire to engage in physical intimacy. That's not, I mean, why is it that it's a natural human desire to want to have offspring. Like why, 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 why is that? What, what is that in our programming that we desire that? Rav Hirsch says something amazing. He says, the truth is, if you ask people, what do you want, right? If you had one wish, if you had one wish, what would it be? <laughs> to, have, to have a legacy, beautiful, Mashiach, beautiful. Rav Hirsch says, the truth is what all of us really want deep down is immortality. Mm-hmm. I want to live forever. That's, that's what I want. I want immortality because think about it. If you have immortality, first of all, you'll get the garage cleaned up one day, right? You know, right? <laughs> right? If, you have, if you have immortality, right, that means, that means there's no clock that's running. If, if there's no clock that's running, so that means again, like... I could accomplish so much. I could be so much. I could do so much. So, of course, HaKadosh Baruch Hu realized that immortality would be the greatest disservice to man. Because think about this. Think about how much we procrastinate now. Right? Even though we don't know how long we're going to live. Right? Procrastination is the most ridiculous thing in the world. Because procrastination presupposes that you have a tomorrow. But the truth is, not sounding morose, just being real, we have absolutely no guarantees that we have a tomorrow. So I procrastinate all the time, assuming that I have all of this time in front of me, which I have absolutely no assurance of. Can you imagine what a train wreck we would be if we were immortal? 
Right? Can you imagine? There's no impetus to do anything. There's no <laughs> impetus to accomplish anything. Nah, you'll, you'll get to it next century. Take it easy on yourself. Make this century about you. You need more you time for the next thousand years. Right? You'll get, to, you'll get to everybody else a little bit later. It'll be a disaster. But yet, deep down, what I want more than anything is immortality. So if Hirsch says, now that I can't have immortality, so what's, quote-unquote, the next best thing? The next best thing are children. Why? Because what my children hopefully represent is that when I am gone, when I'm gone, there's a piece of me that ultimately lives on. This is why Rahman the loss of a child is so profoundly traumatic, not just on the obvious way, that it's not, so to speak, the way the world is supposed to, supposed to go, but that the loss of a child represents a loss of my future. There's a piece of my future that's, that's, that's lost. So Rav Hirsch says something amazing. He says that the natural desire for children is a natural desire for continuity. It's my little piece, my little keel, ultimately in immortality. Now, why is this important? Because a lot of times, right, what, what, what's one of the pitfalls of parenting? One of the pitfalls of parenting is trying to live vicariously through your children, right? You see this all the time, right? Where parents, like, right, the, the young child, oh, he's going to be a doctor. Really? Because, like, he's still wearing diapers. So I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, like, he's exhibited any specific proficiency, certainly in personal hygiene, right? He's not excelling, right? So, so, so La Maisa, La Maisa, but he's going to be... When you, when, you, when you hear parents talk like that, dig down deep, I guarantee you're going to find someone who wished they became a doctor, right? Or someone else. So on one hand, by the way, it's not a bad thing. We want better for our children. We want more for our children. And the truth is deep down, what many of us want is we have this subconscious need for our children to become the people we wish we could have become. Now, there's certain parts of that that are beautiful, and then there can be certain parts of that that are terribly destructive because your child is not you, and your child has no obligation to be the you that you wish you could have been, and your child has no obligation to fulfill the unfulfilled dreams that you may have, and your child has absolutely no obligation to kind of pick up, pick up where you left off in life. Your child is his or her own entity. Of course, they're a continuation of me. They're part of my legacy but they are not the vehicle for the actualization of my life dreams. And this happens all the time. Not even realizing it, parents steer their kids in certain directions because oh, I want better for my child. No, what you're saying is you want your kid to have the life you wanted to have when they were your age, but you couldn't have, so now you're gonna foist it upon them. Did you ask them? Did you ask them? Did you ever take a moment to say, by the way, forget about what I want for you. What do you want for you? What are your dreams? What are your aspirations? What are your goals? And parents even un unwittingly and unknowingly, like they create a whole life plan for their kid. And it's all a projection of their own subconscious disappointments and feelings of just unfulfillment. Unfulfillment, this is not a chinuch shir, but... You could literally destroy a child like that. Many adults wake up one day and they realize that they are not the person they want to be. Why? Because often a very well-meaning parent 
has just steered them in a direction that they never really wanted to go in. And I don't mean like parents who are heavy-handed and stuff like that, but just, you know, enough time telling a kid, do this, do this, do this, do this. This is what I need you to do. This is what you need to do. This is for you. I'm pushing you in this direction for you. And sometimes as parents, of course, we have to do that. But we have to be so careful that we don't try to create our children in our own images. Our goal is to help our children become the best version of themselves. It's an incredibly difficult task. Why am I sharing all of this with you? Because here's what's fascinating. David HaMelech is dispensing, is dispensing, ultimately, again, advice for Shlomo. And what we're going to see is that very often, the be- what's the beauty of parental advice? The beauty of parental advice is often it has years and years of life wisdom behind it, right? We all have that moment where there's something our parents always told us, and we thought that they were just out of it, outdated, anachronistic, totally didn't know what they were talking about. And then usually one day we wake up and we're like, wow, it's incredible. How did they know so much? How did they know so much? David HaMelech gives his son this incredible wisdom. But understand that embedded in the wisdom that David is giving to Shlomo is the very life wisdom through which David lived his own life. So in this capital of the Shlomo, David's saying, my son, I want to give you hadracha. You're going to become your own man. And Shlomo is a very different king than his father. A very different king than his father. Shlomo, unfortunately, again, didn't surround himself with the right people. Right? His son Racham didn't surround himself with the right people. Made many missteps. He was his own person, his own kind of king, his own kind of monarch. Yet, he also had the opportunity to do something that his father never had the opportunity to do. Namely, build the Beis HaMikdash. So when David HaMelech says Lishlomo, like every parent inherent in the raising, and I just want to point out, no parent could divorce themselves from this. Inherent in the raising of my children is my own need for a little bit of immortality. Right? In, inherent in it, it's in, you ever wonder, sometimes when our kids make mistakes, we get so upset and so disappointed. And sometimes it's interesting because you're harder on your kids than you are on yourself. Right? When I make a mistake, I give myself a pass. Right? My kids make a mistake. Come on. Come on. Like, come on, right? Like, like this is more my wife is the heavy handed one. I'm the nice, I'm the nice parent. No, it's not true. But right? so 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 Lamaisa, like, what what why is that? Because when my child makes a mistake, I'm like, oh my gosh, like my immortality, my immortality is at risk. Like, this is my legacy, this is my life, this this child is supposed to be the version of me that I never became, that I always wanted to be. And when they mess up, it's, it's existentially frustrating because it's taking away my ability to live through them, which of course, again, fundamentally unhealthy. But at the same time, whenever there's that parental advice that is dispensed, there's always that little bit of, I'm telling you something that I believe in not just for you, but that I believe in for me as well. So in this capital where David HaMelech gives advice to Shlomo, there's also embedded in here the very life lessons or the very ideas and ideals through which David led his life. So let's explore this a little bit. Take a look at number three. So let's see, right? So what did David want for Shlomo, right? What is the advice that David gives to Shlomo? And by extension, once we see whatever he's giving to Shlomo, what are, what are the pearls of wisdom, right? What, what are the pillars through which David Melch built his own life. So let's take a look. We're going to go through a number of different opinions tonight. Rashi, number three. 
Shetzafa Baruch HaKodesh Shu Asid Lishol Me'isa Kodesh Baruch Hu Lev Lahavin Lishmoa Mishpat. So Rashi takes it into order, although we're going to see Rashi advances four different ideas. But Rashi has an interesting approach. Rashi says over here, Davin HaMelech actually wasn't per se giving over any life lesson to Shlomo. Instead, David HaMelech saw prophetically what Shlomo was going to ask God for, and he prophetically included that future request in Sefer Tehillim. What is this referring to? Take a look at number four. Number four. In the beginning of Sefer Malachim, Shlomo has just ascended the throne. And look what he writes. Number four. So this is one of Shlomo's first conversations with the Kaddish Baruch. You, you anointed me as king. Thank you. I am, I am a nar katon. I am a child. I do not know going from coming. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> it's incredible. You know, sometimes when people kind of find themselves in great positions of influence and power, they have that moment where, you know, they call it like imposter syndrome, where like a person says, what am I doing here? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing in this position. I don't know what I'm doing in this situation. So Shlomo almost has like this moment where he says, I'm king. I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm a nar. I'm a child. I don't know going, coming. And now, you plucked me out of obscurity from amongst the nation. And Kalal Yisrael is very big. And there's a lot of people relying on me. And I don't know what to do. So therefore, I have one simple request. What is my request? Give me Lev Shomea. It's incredible. Shlomach asks God for one thing. Give me, literally, Lev Shomea, a listening heart. A listening heart. Lishpot es amcha, to judge your nation. Lahavin bein tovlara, to be able to distinguish between good and evil. Ki miyucha lishpot es amcha hakaveid hazeh. Because who has the ability to real shoulder the responsibility of this awesome nation? Vaitav hadavra be'ene Hashem, ki shalashons davra zeh. And Kishparach was very impressed. That out of all of the things that Shlomo Melech could ask for, right? He didn't ask for wealth, right? I mean, Bakshim already had a lot of wealth, but she could always use more wealth. He didn't ask for wealth, right? He didn't ask for Shalom Bayez. He didn't ask for children. He didn't ask for military success. Instead, what does he ask for? Olev Shomea. Give me an attentive heart. I am the leader of this people. And to be the leader of this people, I have to know how to handle them. Give me an attentive heart to be able to know how to handle them. Says the Radak in number five, what does it mean, a lev shomea? What does it mean? So he says, maven. Because they have lev savar kimosha amr lahavin beitov lera. This is incredible. What does it mean when Shlomo asks for an attentive heart, a listening heart? It means, give me the ability to distinguish between right and wrong. What does this mean? Shlomo understood that when you are in a position of power, there are many competing interests vying for your attention, right? Many people want you to do this. Many people want you to do that. And sometimes people of great influence want you to do something. And you know what? You're not sure. Good idea, bad idea. And it is so easy. It is so easy to lose sight between what is right and what is wrong. Shlomo was asking for Lev Shomei. Lev Shomei, means, means give me Clarity. Give me clarity. So if, think about it in life. What's our greatest challenge? What's our greatest challenge? 
is clarity. I know I've asked that question four times already, right? 15 minutes, a lot of challenges. But clarity, right? So many times in life, like, it's like, it's, it's, there, obviously there are certain things I know that are right and wrong, right? There are cer certain black, certain white. But then there's a whole lot of gray. And a lot of times in life, you know, if you think about it, it's an interesting exercise. Kind of think about, I think when we're young, you know, the gray is like this, right? And as we get older, the gray gets like this. Why is that? It's not because there's more gray, I think. But rather, it's because I think as we get older and we go through more in life, sometimes our ability to discern between right and wrong becomes a little dulled. Becomes a little dulled. We're exposed to a lot more things, right? The more you're exposed to negative things, the more dulled your sensitivities become. And then the ability to discern between like Ra and Tov, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, I, know what, I know what an absolute Ra looks like, I know what absolute Tov looks like, but that whole world in the middle, so much gray, and the truth is, there's not really that much gray. I'm just, my lenses are a little bit corrupted, right? My eyesight is a little bit blurry because I've allowed myself sometimes to get pulled into all the wrong things in life. And that just blurs my ability to see right from wrong. So I have one request. I'm a new king, a lot of competing interests. I have one request, one request. Give me the ability to always see the difference between right and wrong. Give me that ability. That's all I ask for. You know, this concept of clarity, this concept of clarity, so fascinating, you know, especially, this I think is one of our greatest challenges, especially in contemporary society, right? Because in, in, our, in our Western society, how do you define right and wrong? How do you define right and wrong? It's all relative. See, we're even afraid to answer it, it's right? All right? There is no definite, it's subjective. It's subjective, right? Because at the end of the day, if you feel a certain way or you define a certain way, that's it. Everyone has to respect that. So that means there's no objective right and wrong. There's, there's no objective right and wrong. Well, once there's no objective right and wrong, greater society, so everything becomes like this mess. And we see that. We see that happening on so many different levels. So Shalom Malach, again, you know, we think that like things are so different today than they were uh, 2,000 years ago. They're not that different. They're not that different. People are people. Shalom Aleph wants, I, just give me clarity. So I'll give you an interesting idea, just this point of clarity. You know, we had an interesting, there was an interesting case. Imagine the following scenario. Ruvain steals an item. Just for illustration purposes, he used Ruvain. Ruvain steals an object, right? And what happened? He forgot who he stole it from. But he knows that it's one of the five people standing in front of him. So of course what happens is, guys, who did I steal from? And of course, what does everyone answer? Me. Me. Everyone answers it was me. So all five, obviously four out of the five are lying. So the question is, what does Ruvain do? Ruvain wants to be about tshuva. He wants to be about tshuva. And he wants to give back the item. So what does he do? So listen to this. Rabbi Tarifun says, you know what he does? He puts the item down in the middle and he runs. In other words, let the five guys duke it out. I'm, I'm, I'm giving back the item. I'm putting it back. That's it. Rabbi Akiva says, absolutely not. Rabbi Akiva says, he has to pay back each of the five. Payback, you said, that doesn't make any sense, right? At the end of the day, he only stole from one person and then has to pay back all five. We know four out of the five are lying. Why Rabbi Akiva says, if you want to do tshuva, you need clarity. 
And tshuva, tshuva, ambiguous tshuva is not tshuva. Only tshuva which has clarity is tshuva. So therefore, you want to be about tshuva? You need to know with absolute certainty that you return the lost object. What's the only way you can know with absolute certainty that you return the lost object? The only way? Give it to all five. Give it to all five. That's Leif Shomes. According to Rashi, I just want to point out, it's according to Rashi, when David HaMelech says in number one, the Shlomo, Elokim mishpatecha lemelech tein, vitzidkascha leben melech, David was metaphorically foreshadowing or prophetically foreshadowing, give my son mishpat and sedek. Now, if you think about those words, by the way, mishpat means judgment, sedek means kindness, kindness, right? Or he translates over as righteousness, like tzedakah, like tzedakah. So let's represent two opposite things, right? There's strict justice and there's kindness. Give my son the both mishpat and tzedek. Or in other words, David is prophetically, he's saying, I, I know when my son assumes the throne, he's going to daven for clarity. He's going to daven ultimately again for the leif shmeh. I'm asking you proactively, prophetically, proactively, which is a bit redundant, but prophetically, proactively, I'm asking you to give him that sense of clarity throughout his entire life. And by the way, you begin to see for David HaMelech himself, what did David HaMelech want more than anything in this world? A sense of clarity, right? He often lacked that sense of clarity, not because he wasn't looking for it, but because his relationships were so complicated. Everything was so complicated. Life was so murky for David HaMelech that often that clarity that he just so wanted, he wanted clarity from other people, for people to know that he was about tshuva. But yet again, he never really accomplished it in this world. That which David HaMelech did not have, he wanted for his son. Let's go, let's go on. Take a look at number six. The Malbim says, Malbim says it's simple. Malbim says, So what's the Mishpat and Tzedakah? The Malbim says, Sha Mishpat, who bein Adam lechavero, vatstaka hitzidkas hamasim bein Adam lemakom. It's actually very interesting. So the Malbim says that ultimately Mishpat refers to interpersonal law, which by the way, this is, we just had this in the parish, right? Parshas Mishpatim, Parshas Mishpatim is all about interpersonal law. So Mishpat is interpersonal law. Tzidaka, that refers to bein Adam lemakom. So what is David davening for? The Shlomo, what is he davening for? He says, I'm asking Kaddish Baruch Hu, give Shlomo the strength to be strong both in his Ben Adam Lamakom, excuse me, to be strong in his Ben Adam Lechavero and in his Ben Adam Lamakom. Right? Is this not one of the great struggles in life? Right? Very often, more often than not, we're strong in one area and weaker in a different area. Right? There are few who are able to be excellent and proficient in both, but more often than not, it's a seesaw. It's a seesaw in life. David says, for my son, all I want for him is to be excellent in his bin Adam Lechavero, Mishpatim, and be excellent in his bin Adam Lechavero, his tzedakah. Now, it is interesting to see that which one does David place first? What does he place first? The Mishpatim. Ultimately, again, the bin Adam Lechavero. In life, nothing gets started in the world of spirituality if you are not a mensch. Nothing ever happens in your Ben Adam Lamakom if you don't have, if you're not solid in your Ben Adam Lechavero. That's why I'll point out something very interesting. If you looked at Parashas Mishpatim, you'll see something fascinating. Remember again, Sunday Edith Revelation, Matan Torah, takes place where? In, in Parashas Yisro. Parashas Yisro. 
What's the most dramatic statement that was made during Matan Torah, Sanhedrin Revelation? Most dramatic statement? Nasevin Ishma. Right? We'll do and we will listen. Where is Nasevin Ishma recorded? <coughs> At the end of Parashas Mishpatim. What? What is that? So the Svarim bring down something amazing to teach you something very important. That if you want Kabbalah, if you want Nasevin Ishma, which is the ultimate level of Bain Adam Lamakum relationship with Hashem, first you have to have Mishpatim. Pasuk says, now we translate as, these are the Mishpatim, these are the laws that you shall place before Klal Yisrael. Ultimately, again, the Katsker says, these are the laws, that you should place before them. Them refers to the mitzvos, ben adam lamakom. Mitzvos ben adam lechavero, our interpersonal obligations come before our obligations with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And this is so incredibly important. So incredibly important that at the end of the day, what HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and think about it for just a moment, right? In a family, in a family, right? We started talking about parenting before. What does every parent, if, what, what is the most important thing? Most important parental aspiration that a parent should have for their children? Shalom. Right? Shalom. Shalom. Get along with your siblings. Know how to talk to people. Be a mensch. What you do or what you don't do. How much money you make, you don't make. That's not the ikker. That's not the ikker. I want to know that my children ultimately, again, are mention. That's, that's, that's what I need to make sure is occurring for my children. So it's incredible that David HaMelech's Lishlomo, what's his aspirational wish for his son? My son, be good in your Bain Adam Lamakom and be good in your Bain Adam Lachavero. And this is, this, I just want just for a moment, the lesson is so incredibly important as well now during the days in which we're living, of Kalal Yisrael's, Am Yisrael's, Eretz Yisrael's ongoing war. You know, all of us, just because we're 6,000 miles away, does not mean we're not involved in the war effort. And it doesn't mean that we don't have a responsibility. And every day we try to figure out what we could do, how we can help. And of course, tefillah, tefillah is the reflexive reaction that a Jew does at all times. But also never underestimate the power of strengthening your being Adam Lechavero. If a person goes out of the way, a person takes a Kabbalah to be better in their interpersonal behavior, to be better in their interactions, to be down like Hafsuchos, to give people the benefit of the doubt, to not speak Lush and Hara, to not, all the different things that we know we could do, it's so powerful and it's so profound. Not only that, but good bin Adam Lamakom, sorry, good bin Adam Lechavero leads you to good bin Adam Lamakom. So again, that's the approach of the Malbim. David's aspirational goal, ultimately again for Shlomo, be proficient in your interpersonal relationships and in your relationship with Hashem. You see this echoed in David HaMelech's life. David HaMelech had many detractors. You know one of the most incredible mythos of David HaMelech, one of the most incredible character traits, is he never got down in the mud with anyone. People called him names. People made accusations. His son stole the throne. And every single time, you know what happens when someone starts with you, right? What happens? Well, I mean, this is a, a refined group of, of, of wonderful Nashim Zidkanios. But perhaps you know someone where like, you, you want to go? Oh, let's go, right? I'll, I'll roll up the sleeves, right? Let's, let's, let's get into it. David HaMelech, the greatness of David HaMelech was, wasn't his thing. Like, I am not going to sink to that level. I am someone who has a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And as someone who has a relationship with Hashem, I'm not going to get down in the mud. 
I'm not going to allow myself to sink to that level of behavior. I'm going to always take the high road in my being Adam Lechaver, my interpersonal interactions, and as a result, that Amalek always remained connected in his being Adam Lamakom as well. All right, let's go on a little bit. Take a look at number seven. Rashi here says something so beautiful. Rashi says, Davar Acher, another possibility, <clears throat> another possibility, Rashi says, is as follows. He says, Davar Acher, Mishpatecha Lamalek, Tein Hayisurin, Yukulam Bi, Vatsidaka Asay Libanai, She Shalom Biyamov. So th this is, this is absolutely incredible and, and really, and really, really gripping. Rashi in this interpretation focuses on the following. If you go back to number one for just a second, right? If you notice, the Pasuk reads like this, L'Shlomo, right? So this is a capital written for Shlomo. Elokim mishpatech alamelech. Give your mishpatim to the king, right? Lamelech tein. Vitzidkascha leben melech. And literally, again, your righteousness or your tzedakah to the son of the king. So up until now, all of the commentaries have assumed that both parts of the phrase are referring to Shlomo. Right? Rashi says, no. The first part of the Pasuk is referring to David. David is the Melech. The second part of the Pasuk, Ben Melech, the son of the king, that's referring to Shlomo. So listen to this, Rashi says, and this is so gripping. David HaMelech says, Baruch Hu, here's what I want. Elokim, Mishpatim, says Rashi, refer to the difficulties, the trials and tribulations of life. Give the difficulties to me. It's so beautiful. It's this incredible moment of parental selflessness. Give me the hard stuff. Give it to me. I'll take it. I, I, I can handle it. For my son, V'tzidkascha leben melech. Just give my son a life of tzedakah. Just give him a life of beauty. Just give him a life of bracha. Now what's incredibly beautiful about this is this parental moment of selflessness, where again, every parent goes through this moment, right? When you see your child suffering, right? And every single parent, when they see their child suffering, says the same exact tefillah. And what's the tefillah? What's the tefillah? HaKadosh Baruch Hu, do it to me. I, 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 whatever it is, put, put it on me. I'll handle it, but spare my child. David HaMelech was saying this about his son. Now, of course, but David HaMelech also knew very well that what? That what? That this tefillah had absolutely no chance of coming true, right? Why? Because this is not the nature of life. And this is so important. No one escapes suffering. No one escapes difficulties. No one escapes setbacks and trials. We, we all have it. The only shayla is the level of intensity. That's the only difference. But in that beautiful moment when David HaMelech is, you know, he's, he's on his deathbed and he's writing this capital for his son. And it's almost like he realizes that he has a few moments left in this world. And he realizes like almost like retrospectively how much difficulty and how much suffering he lived through. And it's almost like in that moment, he just, can you please, whatever suffering you want to put on me, just put it on me now. Just, just give it to me. But don't make my son go through the things that I went through in life. Such, such an overwhelming and beautiful window into a portrait of parental selflessness. Incredible. This is more David HaMelech ultimately being reflective. Right? Shalom HaMelech had his own. Again, Shalom HaMelech definitely had, a, you know, when you look at Shlomo's life, you would say it was easier than David. But, you know, you always have to be careful when you say people have an easier life, right? Do you ever have a problem 
and someone tells you, well, you know, there are children starving in Africa, right? How, how do you usually feel after someone tells you that? No one's ever like, you know what, that's a great point. Thank you so much for really framing my perspective in a better way, right? I know there are children starving in Africa, and that's tragic. But the fact that someone's suffering more than me doesn't take away from the fact that I have difficulties. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a phrase called toxic positivity. Toxic positivity is when like somebody's having a problem and you try to convince them that their problem is not such a big deal, right? Or they're fine, oh, you're gonna be great, you're gonna be great, you're gonna be fantastic. Right? If you've ever been on the, on the receiving end of toxic positivity, you just want to tell the person, thank you, and then you wanna tell them, shut up, <laughs> please. Please, I know you're well-meaning, but you're an idiot, right? So please, whatever you're talking, whatever you're doing, is actually making things worse. I know it's gonna be okay. I know I'll be all right, but you saying this to me now, or it's not helping, so stop, so stop. I appreciate it, you're the God Ladar, you have such a beautiful perspective, such a Muna, so incredible, save it, right? Put, write it for your art school biography, but don't, but don't, but don't, don't give it to me right now. So it's incredible that at the end of the day, David's giving this wish, it's never going to come true. Never going to come true. Shlomo's going to have his own adversity, not the same as his father's, but adversity nevertheless. Let's do one more point, then we're going to stop for tonight. Actually, two more points very, very quickly. So take a look at number nine. Number nine. No, sorry, number eight. So Rashi says here's something amazing. Mishpatecha. Rashi says, Chachmas dinecha shetzivisa betorah v'tzidkascha l'tzadik yasadu. Let me tell you this outside. So Rashi again understands her. He says, Mishpatim means knowledge. So, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, give my son, give my son knowledge, right? What is Tzidkascha? He said Tzidkascha means Tzidok Hadin. What's Tzidok Hadin? When a person buries a loved one, right? One of the close relatives is a prayer that's called Tzidok Hadin. Tzidok Hadin means acceptance of judgment. Acceptance of judgment. I accept that which HaKadosh Baruch Hu has done, and I believe that all that the Riban Shalman done, does is just, even if I don't understand it. So according to Rashi, something amazing is happening over here. What is David davening for Shlomo? He says, give my son the ability to go ahead and have knowledge to know what to do and what not to do, like we saw before, and also give him mishpat, sorry, give him tzidkasa, give him tzedek, give him righteousness. What does righteousness mean? Righteousness means the ability to accept responsibility when you mess up. Give me the ability to own it after I do it. Isn't this incredible, right? So give him the knowledge, mishpatecha. Give him the knowledge to make the right decisions. But when he makes the wrong decisions, which inevitably is going to happen, give him the strength to own it. Do you know how much, none of you know, but maybe you have a friend who knows, how much energy we spend on deflection. Right? I do something wrong, and it's like, there's that reflection. It wasn't me. Was it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Yeah, I told the story in that film a little while ago that... Um, I was by Kiddush, this is going back probably a year or two ago. I had just made Kiddush, and I had a glass of wine in my hand, and a guy walked right into me. Walked right into me, spilled all over me. He said, not me. <laughs> so the first thing I said is, you're a lawyer, right? So he said, yes, yes. He was like, so I said, he said, not me, not me. And I was like, not you. Not you. And I was, I, I was, I was shut. Again, I'm not going to get angry as a Kiddush. He bumped into me. But it was fascinating. Besides the fact that like, not you, there's only me and you over here, right? Unless there was the Shechina that came along and knocked my hand, right? It was you. But it's incredible 
how deeply programmed it is within our psyche to avoid responsibility. It's always someone else's fault. It's always someone else's responsibility. Oh, by the way, we could come up with some pretty creative scripts, right? About why it's my parents, why it's my spouse, why it's my second grade teacher, why it's my friends, why it's my community, why it's the rabbi, it's the rabbi, it's the rabbi, whoever it's going to be, right? We could come up with, with very compelling narratives as to why it's everyone's fault but my own. But at the end of the day, we all have that moment of clarity where I recognize, you know what? It is me. It is me. The greatness of David HaMelech was his ability to make a mistake and own it. And own it. Because it's only if you own it that you could fix it. If it's not me, if it's someone else's fault, that means you can't fix it. Someone else did it. But if you make the hard decision to own your mistakes, if you own it, you did it, that means you can fix it. So David HaMelech, Davins for Shlomo, give him mishpatecha, give him the knowledge to be able to go ahead and avoid wrong, wrong decisions, but also give him tzibkascha, give him the strength that if he does make bad decisions, ultimately again to own those decisions. And lastly, the Mara coin, with this we're really going to end, the Mara Chesko, sorry, the Mara Chesko says something so beautiful, I'll tell you this outside. He says, mishpatim means living up to expectations. Tzibkascha, tzedek, means exceeding expectations. Give my son the koach, the ability to live up to expectations, but don't let him stop there. Give him the inner strength to exceed expectations. So if you bring this all together, right? and again, I know tonight, I just threw at you a whole bunch of different opinions, but look how beautiful this is. These are the, this was the last piece of advice, the last piece of guidance, hadracha, that David gave to his son, where when you look at David HaMelech's life, these were all things that David HaMelech ultimately, again, aspired to as well. Number one, number one, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, clarity. David HaMelech has clarity. Give my son Shlomo clarity, the ability to distinguish between right and wrong. Don't let me get swept away in the gray of life. Number two, allow me, allow Shlomo to be proficient in Ben Adam Lechabero, in his interpersonal relationships, and bin Adam Lechaveir, and bin Adam Lemakom, in his relationship with Hashem, and recognize that it is only if one is careful with how they treat other people that they could come to have a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Number three, number three, at the parental wish, parental wish, let me shoulder all the pain and suffering and let my son just have a beautiful life. That one didn't come true. Number four, number four, give my son knowledge, so that he should avoid making mistakes in life. But when he makes mistakes in life, give him the koach to own it, to accept it, seek and fix it. And finally, number five, ultimately give my son the koach to live up to expectations, but don't let him live in that space. Give him the drive to exceed them as well. These were the very tenets through which David HaMelech lived his life. These were the very parental aspirations that he conveyed to Shlomo from his deathbed. And ultimately, again, these should be the very principles, rules, ideas, and concepts that we should be zochet to inculcate within our lives as well. All right, we'll stop over here for tonight. I apologize that we got started a little bit late. In Yeretz HaShem, we will continue next week. In Shkayach, everyone.